Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is episode 20 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs. Just a quick note before we get started that I'll be away for a few weeks in August, so the next episode will be out early September. Hope you enjoy the rest of your summer. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman. So there I was, standing on the cliff with the sea breeze blowing. I just told Stormy that Corwin wanted me to investigate her dad. I knew she'd be upset, but I also knew from experience that the key to any successful relationship was complete honesty and openness. But you're not going to take the case, are you? Well, you know, I thought about it. Your dad really shouldn't have been poking around the station. I couldn't very well say that he wasn't up to anything. And anyways, if I didn't take the case, Mr. Corwin would probably just get someone else to do it. And I'd probably get fired. And then where would we be? So my dad's going to end up like Mr. Pyman? No, of course not. Well, what are you going to do then? It was time for me to think fast. I looked out to sea with a wistful look on my face as if I had a complicated plan. Well, it's like this, Stormy. Like what? And then I remembered an episode of Eliza Pike, Detective Extraordinaire, where Matilda Moonrose had kidnapped a child and made the mother do all sorts of terrible things. We can't pretend like your dad wasn't snooping, so what we have to do is say that someone else made him do it. Stormy opened her mouth, astonished. Howie, you're a genius! I smiled to myself. She was right, I was a genius. Corwin must have seen it too, or he wouldn't have been so interested in me. Now, I said, we just have to figure out who it was that made your dad get so suspicious about the milk station. It has to be someone who's got a reason to be annoyed with the milkmen. Maybe Inspector Piercy... I heard him saying that the milkmen are getting too big for their britches in this town. We could say that he threatened to arrest my dad if he didn't do what he said. Maybe, but it might be hard since he's a police officer. He wouldn't have to make your dad do anything. He would just go look himself. Maybe someone we know better. 
We thought for a minute, and then an idea came to me. You know, Father Whelan's been acting suspiciously lately. He's been having secret meetings with Mrs. Noseworthy. He's been giving her private confessions. Stormy snickered at this. <laughs> oh, you think he's been dipping his whalebone in the holy waters? I didn't see him do that, but I peeked in the back room once, and she was definitely kneeling. Ew. But that doesn't have anything to do with the milk station, I said. True. I took a deep breath and remembered. McMurtle can't even breathe on his own because of the perilous thing the milkman made him do. He's the one who has a reason to hate the milkman. But since he's in a coma, maybe... Stormy, I've got it. It was Dr. Barrett. He was so mad about what the milkman made McMurtle do that he swore revenge. He plotted to destroy the thermalizer. He enlisted your dad's help to make some strange machine to maybe blow up those oxygen canisters. We'll say it's meant to blow up the milk station. But why would my dad go along with it? Hmm. We'll say that Dr. Barrett refused to give your dad any more medicine until he fulfilled his mission. And your dad needs podexium, or he starts acting really strangely and having seizures, so your dad really had no choice. Stormy looked at me with steely resolve in her eye. It's a long shot, but it just might work. We spent the rest of our time together, looking at the waves, reading the latest issue of the Tao Law Runner. I pretended to be surprised at all the surprising parts, since I'd read the story already. And then we kissed and kissed. My hands got sweaty and left sweaty marks on the back of her shirt. It felt like we kissed for an hour, until the sun was setting. We walked back to town, hand in hand, in the red evening light. It was purely magical. I imagined that we were older and married and going for a long evening stroll after we put the kids to bed. It was a dream to hold on to, but it all depended on our plan working. Stormy, remember, tell your dad he's got to stop going anywhere near the milk station, okay? I'll keep my eye on him. Then she put her hands on both sides of my face. My little genius! Then she kissed me with a long, deep kiss and I swear I felt the earth move. Then she ran off for home. I was feeling great, and I went for one of my usual walks through the town. I picked up some dinner at Granard's and ate it on a bench in Lapham Square. And slowly, but surely, I noticed that there was some sort of commotion going on. People were walking in a hurry and talking excitedly. I got up and followed. The sun was down now, but more people than usual were out and about. And then there were a bunch of people all rushing along Mercy Street. There was a crowd forming. I pushed through and saw, to my amazement, one of the big houses had partly collapsed. The front part of the house had fallen right off, and the whole house was on a slant. A hole must have opened up in the ground, and it fell in. You could see right into some of the rooms. The house used to be on my route. It was Mr. Pyman's house. And Mrs. Pyman, who'd refused to take any deliveries for a long time now, was outside crying. A lot of men were running around with wheelbarrows full of dirt and filling in the hole as fast as they could. 
Obviously you couldn't leave an open hole like that because you never knew what might come out. The ground all around had heaved up and the sidewalk was broken in places. I thought about the cracks that had appeared in the milk station and broke poor Billy's face, and I realized that we were lucky it hadn't been worse. I was standing near an old timer with no teeth. He looked at me. Never been a sinkhole in this island as long as I can remember. Not like on the mainland. This island's solid rock all the way down. Something fouls afoot. You mark my word. It's not natural. I don't know what it is about old guys and their superstitions. I guess maybe they didn't learn about science at school and so they think the world's governed by good and evil spirits. I just figured that sinkholes happen everywhere sometimes, and it was just a matter of time before one happened here. There wasn't anything I could do, so I kept walking, even though it was a Monday night and I had to get up early. My plan kept rolling over and over in my head. In a day or two, I'd go to Corwin and tell him I'd done a thorough investigation and Mr. Greenwood was innocent, but that I'd seen some strange machines and things at Dr. Barrett's. I'd say that Dr. Barrett had ordered special oxygen canisters that could be turned into bombs and that he forced Mr. Greenwood to make special detonating devices. It was bound to work and Mr. Greenwood would be safe and Stormy would be so proud of me. I'd lost track of time and it was dark out. I turned on my heel and started back for home. Along the pier, I heard sobbing. The same sobbing I'd heard before. It was the widow Pyman wandering around alone, inconsolable. Mrs. Pyman, what are you doing out here? Just leave me alone. This is all your fault. It's not my fault your house fell apart. My life's been ruined since you came here. Then she stopped and got mad. You don't know what the people are really like here. First my husband disappears, and now this. They all think I'm cursed. No one would take me in for the night. They all just turned away. Why don't you go to the hotel? You think I can afford a hotel? Well, then what about the church? Father Whelan has to help you because he's a religious man. I'm not sleeping in a church. If you're really stuck, what else can you do? I'll walk over with you. She didn't say anything, but we both started walking towards the church. It wasn't so late, really, and the door to the church was open. Hello? Father Whelan? There was no answer. Probably he was in the back room, so I walked back there with Mrs. Pyman. Father Whelan? Then there was a lot of shuffling. I tried the door, and it was open. I could hardly believe my eyes. Mrs. Noseworthy was buttoning up her shirt, and Father Whelan's robes were over his head, and he was struggling to put them back on. Samuel! Mrs. Pyman shouted. It had never occurred to me that Father Whelan had a first name. It was just a confession. I spilled some wine, the sacrificial wine on my... How could you? You told me I was... And then the widow Pyman broke into more horrible sobbing. Then Mrs. Noseworthy piped up. How long has this been going on? Nothing's going on. It was a long time ago, really. He'd gotten his robes on just in time for Mrs. Noseworthy to give him a hard shove. He fell over onto his desk and she stormed out. Mrs. Pyman ran out crying too. Father Whelan got back up and it was just me and him. 
Mrs. Pyman's house fell into a hole and she didn't have anywhere to go. What? So I thought she could stay here. He'd sort of pulled himself together. Howie, you don't say a word about this to anyone. The flesh is frail. We all make mistakes. Oh, it's none of my business. I can keep a secret. You know, your really big mistake was not locking the door. I'll let myself out. Yes, you do that, Howie. What a strange night, I thought. The next day, I delivered milk as usual. Mrs. Noseworthy didn't say a thing, and neither did I. I think we'd come to an understanding. It was like we had a new bond between us. Probably I could ask her for a favor sometime down the road, and she'd have to help me out. I drove by Mrs. Pyman, who was dozing on a park bench. Luckily, the weather was pretty nice. After work, as I'd planned, I went to see Mr. Corwin. Before I could get to what I wanted to talk about, he handed me a bottle of brown liquid. Drink this, Howie. I was a bit nervous. I ran through all the things I might have done to annoy him recently, but I hadn't had time to mess up the Greenwood case yet, so I thought I was probably safe. I had a drink. It was sweet, creamy, incredibly delicious. This is amazing! Chocolate milk. It's new. I've heard that some civilians have been spreading lies about us. We're going to set up a stand and give this chocolate milk out to all the children on Sunday morning. A charm offensive. That's a brilliant idea, sir. You're really a genius. He looked at me a bit sideways like I wasn't in any position to say such a thing. What did you want to see me about? Well, sir, I've done some digging and it turns out that Mr. Greenwood is totally innocent. I don't know why he was looking around the milk station. I think he's getting old and senile. But I have been over to see Dr. Barrett, and I think he's up to something. He even told me that the milkman should never have let poor McMurdle go underground like that. I think he's the one we should really be keeping our eye on. That's ridiculous, Howie. We didn't send McMurdle underground, as you well know. No one knows how he got down there. Greenwood's not senile at all. His activities pose a real threat to this organization. Do you really want to deflect attention from a man who clearly has no appreciation for the work we're doing here? No, sir, of course not, sir. This isn't a game, Howie. No, sir. You understand how serious the situation is? Yes, sir. We're under tremendous pressure, Howie. Have you been reading the book I gave you? I'd like to conduct an initiation ceremony next week. There's... A man coming from the department next week. He can oversee the ceremony, but we also have to have results to show him. Of course, sir. Thank you, sir. Howie, Mr. Greenwood's daughter. How would you feel about bringing her in for some questioning? I know you've been spending some time with her. Oh, she doesn't know anything, sir. Nothing at all. If we can't get any hard evidence, we may bring her in anyways. That might shake a confession out of Mr. Greenwood. What do you think about that? We have to do whatever we have to do to make the mission work. Good. One last thing, Howie. This is such an important mission that you need some extra supervision. I've got Beaver watching you. You won't always know he's there, but he will be, in case you get into trouble. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. That will be all. Can I finish this? 
Fine, Howie, go ahead. I tipped the bottle back. The cool, chocolatey liquid felt good going down. I drank it like it was the last thing I would ever drink, since, for all I knew, it just might be. I was pretty distraught when I left there. I didn't know what Corwin knew and how much he knew about what I knew or if Beaver had been watching me already and what he'd told Corwin. I was supposed to see Stormy at the druggist's. Was Beaver watching me right now? Did it matter? I really didn't know. I decided to take a roundabout route to get downtown. That way, I might lose Beaver or at least be able to tell if he was after me. I went through a residential block on a hill. There was a steep stairway down. I started walking down the steps. I was getting dizzy from all the worrying. I reached for the handrail, but there wasn't one. So I tumbled down head over heels until I splashed into the ocean. It was cold and dark and salty, but I kept sinking and sinking. My eyes burned, but I kept them open. Down below, I could see the moon and stars, a dark shape floating. I tried to swim, but couldn't figure out which direction to go. Until I got to the surface. My head broke above the waves. But I must have been on the other side of the planet because I felt like I was upside down, with all the blood rushing to my head. There was a fishing boat close by. I swam over and clambered in. I kept feeling like I was going to fall into the sky, but I didn't. I was upside down, but sitting in the boat. It was night, but the stars were just blurry gray dots. No moon. It was hard to see. There was a hulking shape in a heavy coat beside me. Hey! No response. Hey! I grabbed his shoulder, and it was Travis, but he was all gray and tired looking. He was holding a fishing rod, but there was no line on it. Travis, what are you doing here? Fishing. Where are we? He just muttered something I couldn't understand and turned back away from me. The blood was still all draining into my face and it felt like my eyes were starting to bulge. I was dripping wet, but the drops were all floating up to the heavens. I looked out to sea. I couldn't see any land, but I could just make out huge columns jutting out of the ocean. They were enormous. My nose was burning from the salt water and I sneezed. The sound reverberated across the water. <laughs> there was a deep sound like thunder, and a column broke in two and crumbled. The top part slid into the water as if it was in slow motion. There was a huge splash. Bits of debris flew out across the water. Travis didn't react. Travis? Travis, what are you doing here? What's going on? You're an awful person, Howie. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? I was taken aback. Travis had always been so nice to me. Just look at what you did. Nothing solid can stand while you're around. Everything you touch crumbles. Your very existence erodes the foundations of the earth. You're a burden on the land and a blight on the sea. I felt my tears joining the seawater dripping up into the sea breeze. Travis turned to me with blank, vacant eyes. 
If you could muster even one decent act, you might find redemption, he said. And with that, I came unglued. I fell off the boat into the air. I fell up and up until I hit the surface of the sky and came up in the harbor of St. Gaff's. I was gasping. It smelled awful down there. I swam through the sinking scum and a dead bird, bits of trash. It was slow swimming with my uniform and boots. I got to a rusty ladder and pulled myself up. It was night, but not too late. A couple people were walking on the pier. I think they pretended not to notice me. I ran home, dripping. I got to my door without anyone noticing me, I think. But then, when I got to my door, it was ajar. I couldn't remember if I'd locked it or not. I slowly opened it, preparing myself for a round of mortal combat. But inside, it was just Stormy sitting on my bed. But she was reading my secret book. Stormy, what are you doing? What the heck is this? Why are you all wet? Don't read that! I grabbed the book out of her hands, which she didn't like. Hey! It's a secret handbook for milkmen. It's all about how you can't learn if you read words you don't understand. Why is that for milkmen? Well, you have to have the right training to really get into it. Okay, so where were you? I waited forever and then got worried, so I came over and your door wasn't even locked. I had a meeting with Corwin that ran late. Then why are you soaking wet? And Howie, you stink. I just fell into the harbor on my way home. How did you do that? I don't know. I just got distracted and fell in. It's no big deal. I started pulling my clothes off because I was getting cold. Did you talk to Corwin? What did he say? I didn't have a towel or anything in the room, so I pulled the sheet off the bed. Stormy was sitting on it and had to get up. Hey! Sorry, I have to dry off. The sheet wasn't very good for drying, but what else could I do? We're all on track, I said. I have to gather evidence about Dr. Barrett, but we have to be careful. There are eyes everywhere watching us. Who's watching us? The milkmen. But you're a milkman. Stormy, I know that. It's complicated, okay? There's a lot going on here that you just wouldn't understand. I could see that she was getting annoyed, but I figured there were certain realities about my job that she was just going to have to get used to. Well, since it's about my dad, you'd better explain it to me. Listen, the next step is just to go visit McMurdle as usual, and we'll see what there is in the doctor's office. Then we'll figure out what evidence we can find, okay? Just don't worry about it. She left a little while later. She was still miffed, but what could I do? I was tired. I hung the wet sheet on a hook on the door and got into bed, but something was gnawing at my insides. Slowly but surely, I was being overwhelmed with a terrible sense of guilt. I thought about what Travis had said, about me having to redeem myself with good actions. I thought about my duties to my employer, my calling. I realized I wasn't really taking it seriously enough. Corwin had given me a job, and I had to carry it out. Even if Stormy was going to be disappointed, I was going to have to find a way to implicate Mr. Greenwood without Stormy ever knowing about it. Then maybe we'd inherit his house and we could live in it together. I felt a little better after making this resolution, but I still couldn't sleep. 
I tossed and turned. My neighbor was banging on the wall. I decided to look again at the book Corwin gave me. I skipped ahead to chapter 2, which seemed less boring than the first one. It was called Lexisium Lactinator. This chapter was a lot better. It was a guide to living for the milkman and had all sorts of good tips. The true lactinator's hygiene must be above reproach. No one can rise very high on the tone ladder when he's got dirty teeth. If you see a fellow milkman with bad breath or brownish teeth, just direct him to the nearest pharmacy where he can find a good boar's hair toothbrush and some baking soda paste. Believe me, he'll thank you for it later, and so will his customers. Before long, I was fast asleep. The next morning, I drove out to the fisherman's house. Travis was on the beach when I drove up. Two pints. Hey, Travis, did anything weird happen to you yesterday, last night, maybe? He gave me a curious look. No, weird how? Did you go fishing at night? Did you see me? No. I guess it was just a dream, or some trick of the brain. I thought I saw you fishing. His blue eyes looked right into my soul. You've always seemed a bit haunted to me, Howie. I've tried to talk to you about it, but you don't seem to believe me. I do believe you, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. He sucked on his pipe. Every seeker's path is different, Howie. I battled my demons a long time ago. They'll never leave you alone until you find the way. They want you back. When you decide you're ready, I'm here to help. And with that, he took his bottles and went inside. Bye, Travis but he was gone. No wonder I had weird dreams about him. What a strange guy. I decided to keep a low profile for the next couple of days. Stormy and I visited each other as usual, but she seemed preoccupied for some reason, and we weren't kissing as much. I figured that whatever it was, it would probably just blow over. Then on Thursday, the new magazine arrived. As soon as I got home, I read it. Eliza was still stuck trying to figure out where Matilda had taken the children. And then there was a bit of serendipity. She heard from a milkman that someone had put in an order for six gallons of milk to be delivered to the old abandoned mini-golf course behind the gas station on the edge of town. Eliza knew it could mean only one thing. Matilda was hiding the children there. It was shaping up to be the biggest showdown in the history of Eliza Pike. But then on the last page, there was a notice that caught my eye and made me really nervous. The Pearly Soap Company would like to announce that the final episode of the Matilda Moonrose saga will be broadcast exclusively on the Tao Law Radio Broadcast Corporation. Tune in to Channel 1040. Don't miss it. The ad went on to explain that the big grand finale wouldn't be printed in the magazine and that Eliza was only going to be on the radio after that and wouldn't be published in the Taula Runner anymore. My mind started racing around desperately. I had to find some tubes so I could get the radio working or I'd never find out what happened to the children. 